If you're not there, turn to Romans chapter 4. We are studying through the book of Romans. That's our normal habit. If you're new to Grace Church, we do interrupt that from time to time. But uh, Paul's magnum opus on the gospel here. We've seen him introduce himself and his thesis statement, which is the gospel. We've seen him prove that both Jew and Gentile are lost and sinful and need a Savior. None can save themselves by their, their obedience or keeping God's law. We've seen the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and our justification in Him that salvation is a free gift to us through faith in Him, being justified on the basis of Jesus, justification by faith alone, so that we are both cleansed from our sin and clothed in His righteousness. We've seen Paul bring Abraham and David into the picture and show the, the truth of that and, and flow from that to show that this blessing of this justified life, this salvation we enjoy with the Lord is for the circumcised and uncircumcised, for Jew and the Gentile. And so we're still talking about Abraham in chapter 4. We're going to um, stretch you a bit today in all that we're going to cover. We're going to cover one verse. We're actually going to talk about one piece of one verse. Um, and then we'll come back next week and pick up on, on more of the context. But I'm going to read this morning from verses 7 to 15, and then we will focus on uh, verse 13 today. But read with me. This is God's Word. Romans 4, verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, think physically, right, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents to the law who are the, to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to believe your word. If we have not come to faith, help us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the testimony from your word that we have from him. If we are your children, again, help us to believe your word. Trust it. Thirst for it. Live in it. Daily growing in grace because of who you are and what you've done for us. And Lord, this day, 
Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. Help me to preach your word in the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Help us to hear it as your word, depending upon the power of the Spirit, the illumination of the Spirit. Teach and grow us, Lord. Strengthen and encourage us. Challenge us. What, whatever you know is necessary in each heart. Invigorate us for the mission. Lord, we, we lay ourselves at your feet. We know the Spirit must work through your word. And that's what we pray for. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Some of you will remember this. Welcome to your life. There's no turning back. Even while we sleep, we will find you acting on your best behavior. Turn your back on Mother Nature. Everybody wants to rule the world. It's my own desire. It's my own remorse. Help me to decide. Help me make the most of freedom and of pleasure. Nothing ever lasts forever. Everybody wants to rule the world. That is from a band called Tears for Fears, a song everybody wants to rule the world. Kids from way back in 1985. One line in that song describes the source of a lot of heartache in this world. Everybody wants to rule the world. We see it today. Putin wants to rule the world. It's a fact. Islam wants to rule the world. China wants to rule the world. It's a long list of people that want to rule the world. But you know what? It comes all the way down to us. We want to rule our little world and control it and make sure nothing bad happens to us in it. Let me set you free. You're not in control. There is a God and it's not you. Okay? But who really rules the world. See, we are born wanting to rule the world ourselves, fighting against the truth that it is God's world. We sang it. And that Christ has all authority. Corey did such a great job with that. He has inherited the nations. He is the blessing for all the nations that Abraham was promised would come through him. Abraham's offspring. And in our text today, though, we find a very interesting statement. And I told you, I'm only focusing really on part of this verse. Abraham is heir of the world. And not just Abraham, but his offspring, his seed would be heir of the world. So let's dig into that a little bit. My hope today is for you to be encouraged, for you to be strengthened, for you to be invigorated in living for Christ in a dark and, yes, a dangerous world. My main point is simple. Be encouraged, church. You will inherit the earth. And there's nothing anybody can do to stop that. 
Be encouraged, church. You will inherit the world. First thing, I want to review God's original promise to Abraham and his seed. Because look, it says the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And we've been looking at Genesis 15, 6, where God declared him righteous. We've seen that it was before he was circumcised. It was before the law. He he was, as it were, a Gentile coming to faith and that God had made certain promises to him. And if you've been paying attention as you've read through the Bible, you get to verse 13 in chapter 4 and you go, wait a minute. Where did God promise Abraham he would be heir of the world? So let's go back and look at his his original promises to Abraham and uh, just highlight a few verses there. Um, I'm turning, but they'll be on the screen for you. It's just a long list. Listen, we're going to do some Bible drill today. The screen will help you. We're going to be looking at quite a few texts, and most of them we will just be able to read through. But I want you to see uh, as, as God makes covenant with Abraham, the promises that he made and those flowed through to his children, and then see how the rest of the Old Testament sort of brings that out and we'll come back to our, to our verse. But first in Genesis 12, 1 through 7, uh, let's review. We've looked at these recently, but let's review that a bit. The Lord said to Abram, now see, his name is Abram now, it's exalted father. It will be father of a multitude when it is changed to Abraham. But now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham, or Abram, was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Mori. At, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So what land did did God promise Abram at that point? Canaan, right? So look in Genesis 17, 8. In the context of the covenant of circumcision and and God making covenant there, it says, And I will give to you and to your offspring after you uh, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now go to the next book we're in in our reading, Exodus chapter 6. You'll you'll see this, this theme continue. 2 through 8. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, or Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them what? The land of Canaan. The land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of my people in 
in Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. One more, Psalm 105, 7 to 11. What land were they promised? Verse 7 of 105. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever and the word that He commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that He made with Abraham, His sworn promise to Isaac, which He confirmed to Jacob as a statute and to Israel as an everlasting covenant. Say, now watch, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. So as God called Abram and covenanted with him, made promises to him to give him land, seed, and blessing, you can see clear that that, that initial setting, that initial promise was to give him and his seed, his descendants, his heirs, the land of Canaan. But that was only the starting place. That wasn't the finish line. Canaan was the start. We're not looking to all go back and dwell in Canaan. In that little piece of land. That was the starting place in the promises of God. That was something we'll see picturing and pointing to a greater reality. A type of what is to come. See, God was not just laying claim to Canaan and going to stop there as some limited tribal deity. Yes, He was going to take them into the land of Canaan and He was going to give that land to them. And Joshua tells us that none of those promises fail. They still had the responsibility to clear the land of the idolaters. They didn't do all of that and pay the price for that. But that wasn't the end. That was the starting place. God's original promise to Abraham or Abram and then Abraham was to give him and his seed, his descendants, the land of Canaan. So you can see why it's a little bit surprising if you've never read this far or thought about it when you get in your study of Romans or your reading of Romans and you get to verse 13 and it says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the land of Canaan didn't come through the law. It's not what he says. There it says the world. You see that expansion of that promise to include the world. Heir, as my title was, of the world. And the question is, how do we progress from a promise to inherit Canaan to a promise to inherit the entire world. 
to the point where we get to Paul in Romans 4.13 saying that the promise to Abraham and his offspring would be that he would be the heir of the world. Because we saw as we reviewed those old texts that there was no explicit statement that Abraham would be the heir of the world in those original promises. But see, what it seems that we have here, and I hinted at that earlier, is that we have in, in Canaan a type or a picture of the fuller reality that would come with the Messiah as the gospel circles the earth and as God lays claim back to His creation. All of it. When the coming of the new covenant and fulfill of God's promise, and there's hints, like remember, because He said, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Not just Jews and not just in Canaan, but all the nations will be blessed. And we know that's Jesus and we've talked about it. So that's why I'm saying Canaan was the starting place. Canaan was a type. It was a picture. It pointed forward to a greater and expanded reality. And listen, there's other Old Testament texts that point to this. So Paul wasn't just guessing and I'm not just guessing. Look at this one. This, these are a little bit quicker. It's just verses. But in Psalm 2, of the Son... The Father speaking, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And listen, don't think Jesus forgot to ask. King of all the earth, the one to whom the kings must bow and be careful lest they anger the Son. All the nations as a heritage are the Messiah's. Psalm 72, 8, may he, the speaking of the Messiah King to come, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 54, 3, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and to your offspring, your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. You see it there? Not just the land of Canaan. Habakkuk 2.14 For the earth will be... You know, we got to test ourselves to see if we believe this. How big is the gospel that you're holding on to? How big are God's promises? Look what Habakkuk says. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How full is the sea of water? That's what it is. All of it. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I'll just end with this one. You heard those promises to Abram, eventually Abraham, and how they were confirmed to his sons as time moved on. And you heard that those promises, at least initially, are pointing to the land of Canaan. Listen to me. Abraham himself knew that wasn't the final destination. Abram knew that wasn't the end. Look in Hebrews, if you will. I'm going to quit Bible drilling you after this. And I encourage you to go back and read... Hebrews, that will help explain a lot of your Old Testament and the superiority of Christ to you. Now watch. 
When Abram was called in becoming Abraham by faith, it says in verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, watch this, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, Jacob heirs with him of the same promise. Why did he do that? Look at this. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. For by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she, was con she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars and of heaven and as many as innumerable grains of sand. And these all died in faith, not having received the promise, the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. See, they didn't see Canaan as their home. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. They hadn't found it yet. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Praise God. To come back to 4.13. That just that one little phrase. The promise to Abraham and to his offspring or seed that he would be heir of the world. See it? Expansion. Through type, anti-type, fulfillment, foreshadows that the gospel, that Christ would reign over all the earth and claim all the earth for his own and bring a people to himself from every tribe tongue, nation, and language. Abraham and his seed would inherit the world, the whole world, and not just this old and tired, wicked world, but the new heavens and the new earth. And Abraham knew it. He knew it. He was looking forward to that city. He died without receiving the promise. He saw the land of Canaan for what it was, not the final destination, but the starting place and a type of what would come. But look back at that promise again in, in 4.13. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. Abraham and who? His offspring. When you read the book of Galatians, who is the seed of Abraham to whom the promises were made? I'll let you go read it, but I'll tell you what it says. Christ. Christ is the seed. And, and, those who were given to him. Who's that? Those who trust in him. Those who receive him as their Savior. I'll just read one verse to you. To whom were the promises made? 
at the end of chapter 3, you go read it in context. It says this in verse 29. And if you are Christ's, I already identified Christ as a seed. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Christ and the elect in Him. Who is that? You. Even think about this. Think about those verses about judging angels and co-heirs with Christ and ruling with Christ. Now we just that. You are co-heirs with Abraham, and more importantly, you are co-heirs with Christ. You inherit the world. What, what does it say in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit Canaan. Some of our eschatology wants to take us back there. The earth. His children inherit the earth. You inherit the earth. So you're not going to heaven after this life and floating on some cloud and looking like a little fat baby playing a harp with wings. Praise God that's not our future. And we love little fat babies, but no, right now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the souls of the saints go to be with the Lord and wait till the resurrection when Christ returns for their bodies. But eventually Christ is coming back. Those of us who are still alive will be changed. And those who have gone before us will come and we'll all have new bodies. Why? Because we will inhabit a new world, a new heavens, and a new earth. What will all that be like? Well, apart from our puppies being with us, I'm not real sure. Y'all think I'm joking. Um, No, no more sin, no more suffering, no more misery. Fullness of joy, therefore fullness of excitement, fullness of purpose. It can't be described in words what that's going to be like. But I want to get your head above the struggles of this world. Because see, I'm afraid COVID and Russia and gas prices and all of these things can cause you to start getting your head down and looking at the circumstances and forgetting your God and His promises and getting very discouraged and therefore very ineffective to be and do what we're supposed to be and what Corey is challenging us for. You will inherit the world, the universe, the new heavens and the new earth with Christ and it'll all be a temple of celebration of His glory. Walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, look really at the struggles of this world. Right? But look at them through the glasses of your God and the glasses of the gospel and who He is. Know today that you win. How do I know that? Because Christ wins and you're in Him. Look back at that verse. Abraham and his offspring will be heir of the world. And we know that Abraham's offspring primarily is Christ and us in Christ. We inherit the world. We win. 
So we can take great chances in this world for Christ and the gospel. We can lay ourselves on the line. We can live like we believe it to live as Christ and to die as God. Because it's not all about this world and it's not all about what we have here. Nothing wrong with heaven if God gives it to you, but use it for Him. But this is not our home. The old timers say we are just a passing through. But we're passing through as children of the King who died for us and was raised for us and who cleanses us from our sin and clothes us in His righteousness and as we talked about in Sunday school, empowers us by His Spirit to love Him and live for Him and to take great chances for His glory and the good of the gospel. Let's have a couple of applications points for you this morning. I want you to go home and meditate on that verse and on the thought that Christ will not only inherit the... uh, Abraham will not only inherit the world, but Christ will specifically, and you and Him. And my first thing I want to say to you is don't let the apparent chaos of this world rob you of your identity and your security. If you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, even with a feeble faith, if you love Him, even with a feeble love, the Spirit has put that in you and worked that in you. And you are His child, so identify yourself with Him, in Him. Co-heir with the King of Kings. It doesn't get much better than that. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It doesn't get any better than that. To have hope in this life and the one to come. To be able to face, look death in the eye and go to live as Christ, to die as gain. You will just transport me into his presence. See, don't let this world and its apparent chaos shake you. Gas is going up. I can't afford it. Don't you think God knows that? Has he not promised to provide for his kids? It can go to $14,000 a gallon if it wants to. And he'll pay for it if we need it. We're not at the mercy of Biden or Putin or any of these people who are doing what they're doing. We're the king's kids. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. My point is Jesus wins and so you win in him. His sovereign authority is over all creation now. There's not a maverick molecule in all creation now. And His kingdom grows day by day through the church. And you, the church, inherit the world, the entire earth, the entire new heavens and new earth, and nobody can stop it. You're co-heirs with Christ. Biblical teaching. Be encouraged. Stop worrying. Look around you at all the people in fear and trembling and point them to this king. Point them to this king. Because he's really the only one. He's the only one who wins. You can follow Muhammad if you want to. He loses. Name any of the other. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He wins. All others lose. But look at the people around you in fear. Walk in confidence. Look different. Be light in this darkness. And, and talk to them about why. Because you are in Christ. And you are heirs to the promise. And you will inherit the earth. You win in Him. And, and listen, look. Things are darker There's growing darkness in this country. There's growing darkness in the world. There's wars and all sorts of things going on. But don't forget this one point. The church grows best when things are a mess. The church doesn't handle prosperity very well. It's a challenge, right? But the church grows best when things are a mess. Think about the early church when we studied through Acts. And these people have come to faith in Jesus. And now they are hated and seeking to be stamped out. They have to leave home and possessions. Sound familiar? It's happening in another country now. But as they left, who went with them? Jesus. What went with them? The gospel. You know what started happening? The the disciples, the apostles started finding believers all over the place because the church went through persecution out with the gospel and God provided for them and used them. And yes, some of them went home. Stop being so afraid. He came to deliver us from the fear of death and give us great courage in, in service to Him. But in the early church... The church grew like wildfire, even though the authorities were trying to stamp it out. And more of that in in the early church, beyond what we have in Acts. The Roman Roman Empire sought to stamp out the church. You know what happened to the Roman Empire? Died. You know what happened to the church? Flourished. They can't win because Jesus never loses. I'm not saying you won't go through pain and struggle and heartache. We're promised that in this world. And He doesn't promise to protect us from it. He promises to take us through it. And someday we'll go before Him and maybe He'll explain it or maybe He won't. And at that point, we won't care. You just have to trust me with that. But see, we're like baby birds that have to be shoved out of the nest because we like getting comfortable waddling up in that nest. But see, His purpose for us is not to leave us all swallowed up in that nest, but use the wings He's given us to fly with the gospel. And so sometimes He has to push the church out of the nest, and He did it in Jerusalem. He did it in the early church. He did it in the Reformation. You think it was fun to be a reformer? You better go read. They they rediscovered the gospel, and everybody wanted to kill them for it. The religious authorities wanted to, the Catholic Church wanted to kill them for it. And did kill a lot of them. But not until the day God had marked out. And God still used them. And, 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 and well, the Reformation made it all the way to Swansboro. How about now, today? 
Things are crazy in the world. So what? It's a dark, lost world in rebellion against God. You would expect it to be filled with misery. And it is. And we're sovereignly placed here with the power of God for salvation for Jew and Gentile. With the power of the Holy Spirit and His gospel that we might shine as lights in the midst of this dark world. And tell other people, not just go around bragging, I got it made, I'm a child of the king. No, but tell them how they can be one and do it in love. Love your enemies. Give them blessing. Don't be overcome with evil. Be overcome evil with good. Be light and salt. See, God's going to push us out of the nest too. We're not always going to be insulated from persecution. It's coming here. Without a big and vast revival, it's coming here. You better not have your... I'm not saying don't love it and appreciate the, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, but you may not always have those. Now, I pray that you do, and I pray that we're revived, and I pray that that not happen. But if it, if it does, it'll be God in control, pushing the bird out of the nest. Let's go. Let's go. Listen, don't be surprised by the suffering and, and terror in the world. It's amazing that it's not worse. We have it far better than we deserve. But listen, we're, we're the king's kids. Satan can pitch all the hissy fits he wants to. He cannot stop Jesus from claiming his church in every nation and eventually the whole world. Must be powerfully frustrating to be Jesus' enemy. The church will inherit the earth and Satan and his followers will inherit hell. You win in Jesus. And listen, I want you to spend some time this week reading and meditating in Revelation 21 and 22. Because we get so lost in all this stuff we don't understand in Revelation, and the point is Jesus wins, and so do you, in Him. The glory of Christ. So don't let the apparent chaos in this world rob you of your identity and your security. Now I want to ask you one more question. We've said that we're going to inherit the world. How do we inherit it? How do we inherit the world? Is it on flowery beds of ease? Nestled up in the nest? No. That's how we want it. That's how our flesh wants it, right? That's how, that's how the faith, faith teachers, heretics, want to present it to you. If you'll send them enough money, you'll just rest in your flowery bed of ease with all this stuff. You can throw a little bit out at people at the time. No, no, no. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, trouble. Can anybody testify that he was telling the truth? I think we all can. He didn't promise to deliver us from the, all of the effects of living in a sinful and darkened world. But how do we inherit the world? Is it through military conquest? Is the church to take up arms and inherit the world that way? Nothing wrong with military conquest when it's just war, but no. Listen, Putin may gain some ground, but it'll be a temporary victory in light of eternity. And I hope he's defeated. 
But our mission is not military conquest, but it is, I mean, fleshly military conquest, but it is military conquest. It's spiritual military conquest. We need, we need to be recalibrated, church. We're at war. We are at war. There's nothing you can do to avoid it. Our enemy walks, prowls around, seeking whom he might devour. And you know what his goal is? Is to devour your faith. He can't do it. Secondary is to devour your witness. What does Paul say how to, at the end of Ephesians, how we prepare to walk with Christ? Put on the full armor of God. What is armor for? Protection in battle and success in battle. So we need to be hitting the battlefield, armored up with the gospel. Because the spiritual conquest, the spiritual warfare is not complete until the church is complete. A people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we can't win it. We don't have the strength to win it. That's why we have to depend upon the Lord to use these cracked clay vessels to fill us with His power and His Word and shine that light through us as we're girded in the truth and clothed in the righteousness and standing in His grace, wielding that sword with our heads covered with His salvation. All of those pictures... It's by His might, though. Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. See, they were, they were at that time tasked with rebuilding the physical temple, returning from exile, why? Because of their sin, returning to the land and tasked with rebuilding the physical temple, which God had called them to. But we are tasked with building the spiritual temple. God using us to put those stones in place, end of Ephesians 2, being built up into a dwelling place of God. And he will, he will succeed through us by His might, by His power, by His Spirit. But make no mistake, we are at war. And some of us aren't fighting. We put on our Bermuda shorts and trapes out on the battlefield and wonder why we get shot full of holes. I have nothing against Bermuda shorts. You know I'm not talking about physical clothing. But what are your spiritual clothes? What do they look like? If we could see your spiritual clothes, would it be that shining armor? Or some sad, tired imitation? We will inherit the earth by being instruments in His hand, used for His glory, taking His good news of the gospel, which is the power of God's salvation, to the ends of this earth, so that a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language are brought to faith in Him, and we will dwell together forever. And listen, you're not too old to be a warrior, and you're not too young to be a warrior. Go back and read, how old was Moses when he was called out? How old was Abraham? 
and they were used. One of the things I want us to do this morning in light of this fact that we will inherit the world and the way we inherit it is really through gospel conquest, clothed in the armor of God, marching as soldiers for Christ. I want us to change the way we think about church and change the way we think about worship and change the way we think about the Lord's Day worship. Listen, we meet in the presence of our King to be equipped for the battle. The gospel battle. So what I want you to do is stop thinking of the church as any form of entertainment, any form of theater, any form of coddling and catering to your individual desires. What I want you to do is see the glory and the grace and the goodness of Christ to call us to himself and to be willing to use us. And it should be our joy to hit that battlefield with and for him because of his grace. So what, what the picture I want you to bring to mind as in our worship and what we do as a church is boot camp. Boot camp. What is boot camp? Well, you get these, you get these people together and you, you give them a cushy place to stay and some really nice clothes and you just feed them, feed them, feed them and tell them what an honor it is to serve in the military. Is that how any of your boot camp work? And spiritual boot camp is breaking down everything that is of the old man so that we walk in the strength of the new man, so that we're willing to go out and effective to go out in battle. We're trained for war through the worship of God and the service of God and the study of His Word. And all of us have to go to boot camp. You know why? Because we're all at war. When you come to Christ, you are at war. You can fight or not fight. You're at war. So we meet with our king. We meet with our king to be changed, to be changed into greater and better warriors for the gospel battle, to honor him, to have our lives, Paul says in Philippians, adorn the gospel, to have our mind be one with Christ and our purpose be one with Christ. And to go arm in arm. Aren't you glad he doesn't call us into, we're not individual, but we are an army for the Lord who doesn't walk in fear because their king is on the throne and he promises to use us as he sends us out to accomplish his purpose. Think of the church, think of worship as first and foremost about the king and for the king and our joyful, loving devotion to serve him because of his grace and therefore our devotion to serve one another and with one another and then to reach out to our neighbor who needs to know him. Know you are light and salt. If you go read in that section in Matthew, he doesn't tell us to become that, does he? He doesn't tell his church to become that. He says, you are the light of the world in me. You are the salt of the earth. The implication, now live like it. Live kingdom lives devoted to the king who inherits the world and gives it to you. 
Your labor is not in vain, church. Your life and your war is not in vain. Your death, should it come to that, is not in vain. But service of the king and in his forces requires devotion and sacrifice. Requires us being recalibrated to where we live. Remember Ecclesiastes. We live in a dark and fallen world. We suffer some of the common misery, but we don't do it without hope because we have God glasses on. We look above the sun to our God who reigns and has sent His Son to save us from our sin. You know, I mentioned earlier that even our, our, our failures are a success or what seems to be our failures are a success. Do you know what seemed like the biggest failure of ever, all time, to those early disciples? That cross. That looked like the biggest failure of all. The Messiah that they were hoping in, that they were going to reign with, he did. The, you know, darkness has succeeded in killing him. But you know what? It was the greatest success. It was the greatest success. Because it was the plan all along for the Son of God to die for the sins of His people. It was the plan all along for Him to stay under the power of death for a time and for those disciples to tremble in that upper room. It was the plan all along for Him to be raised the third day and change everything. And to ascend and reign and come again someday. Christ died for our sins and they were not expecting that. The devil was not expecting that. When evil sought to work to put him on the cross and when he died, they thought they won. No. There's apparent victory for darkness that is eventually revealed in failure and success for God. And the biggest picture of that is the cross. Christ died for His people. He was the Lamb of God, fulfilling all of those pictures in the Old Testament. He paid the penalty for our sin. He gave up His life. He paid the being God and man on that cross and could say it is finished before He died. Under the power of death for a time and raised the third day that you might trust in Him and receive salvation. And listen... The proof is the resurrection, and you can't disprove it. Many have tried. Go try if you want to. Unless you use a double standard, you can't disprove the resurrection. You might just not like it and not, not accept it. But he's risen. He's reigning. He's coming again. And if you're trusting in him, you are his, and you inherit with him. But see, you know the outcome ahead of time now. Abraham and his seed, Christ and you, inherit the world. He will reign. And you will reign with him. And it's all proved true by the resurrection. So church, be encouraged. Please, look to Christ and be encouraged. Look to God's promises. Believe that this is not our home we're passing through. And we're passing through with a mission that we are at war. But we're fully equipped for that war. If we'll trust him and make use of the resources he's given us. To put on that armor and to walk by the Spirit. To honor and glorify Christ. The end is both near and it is sure. Christ wins. And you win. If you are in Him. The church is not. Listen to me. The church is not defeated ever. 
If they come through that door right now and kill us all, we're not defeated. You can't imagine how the gospel would go out through that. To live is Christ, to die is gain, that'll never change. Rest in Him. We'll be reunited to those who've gone before us. In, mm, rest in Him. Putin will bow to Jesus. Xi Jinping will bow to Jesus. I don't care who hears this. Muhammad will bow to Jesus. All his enemies will bow to him and recognize the fact whether they do it in faith before they pass from this life or do it at the judgment. All of his enemies will bow to him someday and recognize that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is our King and our Lord and our Savior. Through the feeblest of faith, if you're trusting in Him, are you trusting in Jesus this morning? If not, repent and trust in Him. Are you trusting in Jesus and discouraged? I get it. Look up. Recalibrate. Nothing's going wrong as far as the kingdom timetable. He's on the throne. He's for you, with you, and using you. Sometimes when you don't even believe it. Our, even our seeming defeats are victories because He is on the throne. Because God's timetable is playing out. Because He is saving a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. And you get to play a part in that. Rejoicing in Him. Trusting in Him. Walking with a conscious dependence upon Him and a belief in Him will help us walk by faith and not by sight. Walk by courage and not by fear. Walk in dependence and faithfulness on the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing that God wins. We even sing about it sometimes. Listen to this. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most holy, most glorious, the ancient of days. Now listen. Almighty, victorious. Your great name we praise. See, everybody might want to rule the world and might sing about wanting to rule the world, but Christ actually does, and you do in that you are in Him, and you get the honor of proclaiming His victory to a world that's grow, living in growing and increasing fear and misery. Look to Him and go in great confidence. Take His gospel with you and know that He will conquer and inherit the world, and so will you. So my main point, church, be encouraged. You will inherit the earth. To live is Christ. Lord, we say it. Help us to believe it. Father, we come before you now and just praise you. We praise you through your Son, by your Spirit. Triune God, you never fail. Ever, never, ever, ever. And therefore, your church never fails. Yes, we get led astray and all of these kind of things and we have much to repent of. But you're working in us and you're working through us for your glory. And you will not stop. 
And someday around your throne, we will rejoice with an innumerable host of people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language who have been rescued by your conquest with your gospel. May we be instruments in your hand, but first and foremost, may we believe in you, believe your word, trust you, be emboldened with a holy boldness to walk through the fire in dependence upon our God with the glorious good news of his gospel. Abraham and his seed inherit the world. And we are in Christ the seed. So we inherit the world. Lord, save those who don't know you this morning. Grant them repentance and faith. They can never win fighting against you. And those of us who do know you, recalibrate us, refresh us, renew us, revive us, Lord. To be walking out on that battlefield fully clothed in your armor with hearts that are fully dependent upon you, trusting in you, resting in you, rejoicing in you. And give us eyes to see the misery around us that we might thrust that sword of the Spirit in the gospel and see them come to faith. Save and sanctify your people. Renew and revive your church. Help us to be able to walk through the darkness and struggles of this world by faith and not by sight, knowing our King is on the throne. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.